Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary, and the last of our latest run of Fundamentals of the Future recordings. This episode, recorded as part of a panel discussion at EG's Sustainable Outcomes Make Better ESG Decisions event, tries to understand how real estate can better embed the E and S of ESG into corporate governance. We ask whether the real estate sector could ever have its own Yvonne Shinward and make Earth its only shareholders. We uncover the importance of board maturity and take a look at what other sectors real estate could and should be learning from. Listen in for insights from Dr. Sayed Ibrahimi, Principal Consultant, Sustainability Strategy at Alpha Energy Group, and Julie Hiragoyen, Chief Executive of the UK Green Building Council. Now, this episode was recorded outside of EG's specialist podcast studio, so the audio quality may not be quite as excellent as you have come to expect. I can, however, promise that the quality of the content most definitely is. Enjoy. Welcome back to part three of um, our, our big day of, of learning today. And, and as I said just before the break, now we're into the G of ESG, looking at how do we embed sustainability uh, and social value, actually, into, into good government governance. Can't even say the word. Uh, um, so uh, please welcome to the stage to help us answer that question. Julie Hiragoyen, Chief Executive of UK Green Building Council. Julie, come on up. And Dr. Sayed Ibrahimi, uh, Principal Consultant, Sustainability Strategy at Alpha Energy Group. And for once, I'm going to sit down. Should I just talk really loud? I'll talk really loud. I think your mic will come uh, <laughs> So it's a really big question, isn't it? How do we embed doing the right thing, I suppose, into, I'll, I'll keep talking loudly, I hope they'll turn me on, um, into what we do, into, into good business. And we were chatting about this a, a little earlier in the week, and I guess I posed the question, um, could this industry, this wonderful in- industry in which we operate, ever be Patagonia-like? Is there an Yvonne Chinoard in the real estate world that will put the planet as its major shareholder. Am I on drugs? Uh, can that happen in real estate? Is there an invention world? Is there a Patagonia? I would probably say there isn't yet, um, but I, I definitely think it can happen. I think one of the key things to consider is, I mean, Patagonia is a really interesting example because it's sort of gone against um, kind of mass consumption, even though it's a retailer. So I guess the analogy for real estate would be to go against kind of construction and new build and just focus on what we've already got. I'm talking predominantly UK or global north when I say that, not global south. Um, And yes, I mean, many are doing just that. There are are many um, real estate, uh, you know, um, funds and, and others that are doing just that. I was with Edge yesterday in Amsterdam who are switching from kind of new build to... Uh, existing brown to green, as they call it, transition. Um, so I, th- I think they, they can do that. There is a kind of business model bit to it. The, cu- the, the, the second part to your question, which is the, you're making the planet the sole shareholder, I mean, any business could do that, right? Any private business could do that, which is basically sort of, you know, they effectively gave the value of the business to charity, um, to, to nature, 
kind of preserving environmental charities, which not many would, but they did. And I think really showed the kind of ethos and purpose that the owners actually sort of brought to it. Um, so I think, I think for me, the, the business model bit is probably the most important bit. And in doing that, shifting to something where they're not necessarily doing more new build, more new construction, whatever they bring and restore would have to be dramatically better than obviously what was there before. So they're taking out carbon and actually restoring um, the, the, the harms that have been done in the past. Fantastic. And, and that's all. Oh, excellent. Uh, let's, let's stick with that business model um, conversation as well, because we heard right at the beginning of the, of the day that actually a lot, of the, a lot of the driver in this has to be around, around money, um, unfortunately, still. So if we want to change the business model to make... Um, sustainability, social value, doing the right thing, part of that. How do we have that conversation and, and turn it into a, perhaps a financial conversation? Yes, um, thank you. So from my perspective, um, corporate governance um, ties down quite well with board maturity. Um, so by board maturity, we're looking at board of directors that are not, um, that have been in a particular sector for a while and um, are now... Um, appreciating a lot more sustainability issues, whereas 10 years ago you had to go in a room, had to convince them about the business as usual, the actual hard evidence of physical um, climate change, uh, whereas now we're seeing quite a lot of clients come to us, open up, say that, can you really help us in this transition? So um, in that regard, you'd probably have um, quite a lot of investment there, but in how they approach it is the question, I think. Uh, your Michael Bloomberg's of the world um, um, with the um, TCFD type of frameworks, uh, financial disclosure, climate-related risk, are good sort of examples of now to see how um, you can't have that share value listed on a stock market as, as you used to have a sort of bottom line or financial bottom line as, as they were traditionally sort of valued. There's more um, um, issues with potential um, sort of institutional investors and how they look at um, share values and how they look at long-term investment. And as I was talking to Julia on, I think there's quite a lot of um, case studies that you can look at for, through cross-sector um, 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 industries, industries that have taken these sort of initiatives, um, circularity, life cycle assessment, use of life cycle costing, and with probably the pioneers, the automotive industry, the aviation industry, and look at how they sort of made financial um, um, decisions where regulations weren't really there. I mean, regulations are slowly following up, compliance is there, but we, um, as the automotive sector probably showed to us, there were initiatives taken on ground by the big players, and that, from an institutional theory perspective, sort of peer pressured other competitors in that sector to follow suit. Um, government then looked at those peer pressures when it became normalized, and then started setting um, black and white institutional um, regulations. So, um, Just to add to that, and I think that that's really interesting, that cross-sector, um, we were just talking about, you know, we're not good as a sector in learning lessons from other sectors, and actually, yeah, there's, not, there's, there's quite a lot of similarities with, let's say, automotive, where, you know, very long value chains, lots and lots of suppliers, um, so, so a lot of the problem kind of lies with that, and they've been... They've paved the way in terms of, um, you know, dismantling and disassembly and every 
every panel and every sort of um, uh, you know, piece, part of the car has a kind of barcode and you can recover it afterwards. We're quite far away from that, obviously, in buildings. But the point I was going to make was more around your question on how do we bake it into that financial uh, model. And I think <clears throat> part of how we do that is internalising the externalities. So you know, we're not currently pricing carbon, nature, um, circularity. You know, we're, we're, there's, a, there's a way of doing that, a fair way of doing that and an unfair way of doing that. And, um, and those businesses that are taking it really seriously, there's more and more kind of businesses that have uh, set an internal carbon price. And if that starts to appear, um, you know, really to, to make those decisions, you need to look at the information with the financials. You can't sort of say, well, there's the financial performance and there's the sustainability performance, and we'll just try and make the best that we can. You've got to integrate them, right? So I think that's one practical way that more, more and more are, are using. Um, but the other way is to flip the business model and actually say, well, it, it's not rewarding us. It's not actually um, rewarding the right behavior. For instance, a classic example of that is <clears throat> a developer building a much better building for an occupier pre-let, saying I can build you a net zero carbon, you know, all bells, all, all, um, all bells singing or something, whatever, all <laughs> bells whistling. All bells and whistles. All bells and whistles. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but it's going to cost you a little bit more. And, the, and, the, and I actually know a live example of this. With um, Surprisingly, with Unilever as the... Um, as, as the occupier and the CFO said, well, look, our budget's capped. We, you know, we can't go any further. Um, you, you know, and, and actually, the way around it is to say, and, and the progressive developers said, well, we'll guarantee you 15 years' worth of savings on your operating costs because we I can tell you your building will be much cheaper to run. And by factoring that into the lease, you know, it allowed for them to spend that extra capex. So I think there's ways where it doesn't stack, there were ways it should so you've kind of got to get creative about finding the ways that it should, mm. okay. that, it can, that it can. We, um, uh, again, at the beginning of the day, and it was quite crude, which is unusual from a, a politician, but we'll, we'll go there. He talked about, if you want to change people's hearts and minds, you have to grab them by the balls. I'm doing it with my hand again. I apologize. <laughs> uh, I'm just going just gonna to leave that here. Um, and, and I wonder, is, the same, is it the same with when we talk about governance and embedding um, this desire to do better into governance do we need uh, do we need the i'm just going to say regulation i'm not going to talk about balls again uh, do we need the regulation or is there have we already got the hearts and hearts and minds can hearts and minds drive it without the re regulation i mean i, I you know 100 need the regulation because you, you're only going to get you know that there are many now that that that, that get it hearts and minds there are some minds there are probably more um but not the whole, not the whole sector by any stretch, and, and many don't even actually recognise what regulatory risks they, you know, they're, that they're facing. So, um, you 100% need the regulation. That said, because we don't have the regulation yet, or we've got big, big gaps in the regulation. We can't wait. So, those that are the reason why this conversation is, is even a topic, why, you know, how to embed ESG into corporate governance, is because we don't have the regulation. You can guarantee if we had something like the health and safety um, you know, liabilities for board directors as, as that we do on, on carbon, let's say, we'd have very different decisions and board maturity levels, um, to your point, really good point. Um, so I, I, I would say we really need the regulation, but we're, we're woefully behind and we don't seem to be in a massive hurry to fill the gap. Hmm. Saeed, so, would you agree Yes, with that? I completely agree. Just to add to that, I think regulations are always a... Um, 
there is systematic review of government looking at best practices in a particular sector. They have to look at what the big players are doing in that sector, look at it, and then try to sort of translate that into frameworks uh, and mandates. I think uh, there's a huge risk of being left behind. And I think um, um, the MP kind of um, sort of suggested that if you look at the transitional risks, policy, market, demand, push from customers that are not a lot more environmental savvy nowadays. Um, so quite a lot of clients would sit there, wait for a particular regulation to hit, whether it's ESOS, whether it's TCFD, where they meet those sort of requirements. But they have to appreciate that if you do not take those Act, um, sort of um, initiatives in a timely manner, you'll end up paying quite a lot in catching up. Whereas if you do take certain initiatives where you look at the best practices, develop those KPIs for yourself internally and match them to your competitors, then you'll be in a position of um, providing them to your followers as intellectual property. We're seeing this quite a lot um, you know, in the top innovative industries, whether it's um, software um, sector, whether it's the aviation sector, with um, the automotive um, lightweight materials, you know, 3D printing, additive manufacturing, and um, those automotive OEMs that took those initiatives to develop capacity across their supply chain. And then everyone else is following. They go to them and like, if we want to scale this up to our fleet, what do we do? So it is, um, as, as Julie mentioned, probably other sectors are advanced. We could quite learn quite a lot from them. And by regulation, understand, be smart enough to take initiatives in a timely manner, make sure you understand the best practices and start that journey. Yeah. How do, how do we bring those examples then, cross-sector examples, to, to the real estate sector so they can, so they can learn? We, you know, we've, we've done a lot of it here today learning from each other within our little bubble of, of real estate. But how do we, how do we bring that conversation uh, uh, in front of this sector? Um, so, and if I may, um, business models and financial models have this genetic thing about them. You can obviously look at, um, I think, again, to, to the point that the MP made earlier on, quite a lot of focus is on energy optimization, especially in the real estate sector. Um, light, heat, we know about insulation walls, roofs, solar PVs, um, 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 air, air source heat pumps. But not a lot has been done, I'm not undermining it by the way, in material sustainability. So if you combine, and we know material sustainability makes up to a third of um, the challenges towards getting towards net zero in 2050. So looking at other sectors and how they've sort of overlapped um, engineering um, using technology and looked at raw material acquisition, manufacturing processing, usage and end of life treatment in the same important lens rather than just focusing solely on occupants behavior, which I do appreciate is quite important, and also building management. Whereas, um, as I think, again, uh, one of the case studies we're mentioning quite a lot about construction and how they were tackling quite a lot of resource um, reusability and recyclability, which is, I think, very, very important. So if we do take into consideration that we live in a world that we have globalized supply chain, and it's very, very difficult. Again, your scope three, 15 categories, mapping that huge challenge, the data discrepancies, huge challenge. But we should start somewhere, and I think personally, providing the economic incentives, so getting all the key stakeholders across your supply chain to understand the risk. Everyone views risk differently. So depending on where in your supply chain you are, you view, and then the focal company 
or the power in the supply chain enforcing that. If you're the apples of this world, you, if your suppliers don't comply with you, if you don't provide you EPDs, environmental product declaration sheets, they can move away. They can make you obsolete. So it's about the, the bigger powers of the, of the supply chain taking initiative and taking responsibility and helping every smaller part of the supply chain comply with them and, um, and increase their capacity. That comes to your point, I suppose, about Unilever and, and the developer with the... And Unilever is probably the power oh, yeah. person there, but actually the, da the David uh, um, put the pressure on and said, mm. no, actually, we can, we can do this for you. So yeah. we need to hear more of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, I'd echo uh, everything so I said. I, I suppose there's other, um, you know, there's kind of supply chain stuff, exactly as you said. There's, there's the business model itself. You know, there's a lot of... Um, industries where increasingly they're leasing rather than selling. We're just starting to kind of look at some of that within our sector. Your know, products as a service, lighting, um, you know, you, you, you lease the, the service of light, right? And then the lighting provider comes back and fixes the bulbs and it's in their interest to actually, you know, maintain the system efficiently and take back and, and kind of improves uh, resource efficiency and those sorts of things. But also I think we can learn a lot from a kind of more customer-focused um, you know, approach from whether that be, you know, B2C businesses or, you know, retailers or other, and others, um, they have had to think really hard about things like labelling, um, you know, uh, again, supply chain issues, labour issues, but, you know, but, but what does the customer really want and how do you influence what the customer wants? And I think that comes back to that point, which is don't just take the brief and deliver the brief. You've got to, you know, then the whole point of, um, you know, the, the, the whole leadership aspect, I suppose, of, of ESG is, 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 is exerting one's influence up and down that value chain. So it's kind of, you know, and, and actually being as open book about that as possible so that others can learn fast. Because the point is we haven't got much time. So if we're all sort of, you know, being very uh, commercially discreet about what works and what doesn't work, we're not going to get there in time because everyone's reinventing the wheel. Mm. So I think other sectors provide lots of examples of those, those things. I'm glad you mentioned time. We haven't got much time there as well, because Sarah Ratcliffe at the beginning of the, the day talked about, you know, there's this need for systemic change, uh, need for radical collaboration, all of, those, all of those things that we need to just be dif different. And, and when I think about the way that real estate works, it, it, the system for this doesn't really work for them because there's no reward for... The, the patient capital out, out there, or there's very little patient capital really out there that mm. is, the, is the, the, the kind of thinking that we need to really move forward at pace on, on this path. I, I, I think that's changing. I mean, to, to, to Saeed's point about TCFD and there's TNFD now and you know, these, these financial disclosures where you've got to disclose or you, you're encouraged to disclose in some cases your, your financial risks that some of these issues pose, you can't argue with the fact that, you know, in a two-plus degree world, most of our physical assets will be at some kind, well, a lot of our physical assets will be at some kind of risk or another. So, so I, I think it's, an, and, and that the transition or that the future is going to be at least net zero carbon, which probably isn't enough, actually it probably needs to be net negative. So we, you know, yes, the regulations aren't there now, and yes, the capital isn't asking necessarily as um, challenging and stringent kind of requirements now, but actually more and more investors 
um, and lenders and various others that can see the writing on the wall. And, and, and I think, you know, real estate is in danger of being on a sort of cliff edge. You know, it's going to, when it comes, it's going to come really quickly because all of the, you know, divestment from, you know, buildings that just can't make it to net zero carbon or, or what, what have you will happen very fast. And so lots will be left, to, left with stranded assets on their books and so on. That's starting to kind of dawn on people and on, on, on the financial institutions in particular. So I, I think that's changing quite quickly, certainly in this jurisdiction. I don't know if it's happening quite so quickly elsewhere. Is it, is it happening, happening quick enough, I suppose, or is it, has it come too late? Well, that's quite a big question, isn't it? I mean, we've just kind of been hit both at COP27 with, you know, some great results from a climate justice point of view, but really poor from a sort of raising, ratcheting up the bar point of view. Um, and just two weeks prior to that, um, you know, we were told we were hit 1.5 degrees this decade. So it's not, none of it's fast enough. It's like, it's, it, you know, um, my view is every ounce of effort is worth, you know, every fraction of a degree even is worth million actions and, and efforts so we're just trying to keep it as low as we possibly can now it's it's going up whatever way we look at it I think to that point um not to sound gloomy <coughs> and gloomy but um carbon has a dollar value and um unfortunately it's got quite a lot of attention uh, the global warming potential is a huge challenge, don't get me wrong, but there are other perf environmental performance indicators to look at, acidification potential, ozone depletion, resource depletion, freshwater, aquatic toxicity, human toxicity, the plastic that we have in our water. So um, I think we need to do a lot to get to a sustainable future. I think we've already passed uh, the threshold. But that doesn't mean that our initiatives um, shouldn't be um, structured in a, in a particular manner, that we have a half full vision of, of a glass that the future could be salvaged. Um, with, um, when, when you look at um, environmental challenges, especially in, in, in the um, real estate sector, again, I'm not going to repeat myself, but quite a lot of initiatives are looked at at the use stage of the building itself. Mm we have a global supply chain. We can't just cut off a supply chain boundary and configure it in a particular manner not to consider the steels that are manufactured or forged in China because they're burning fossil fuel over there. Again, renewable energy has a big role to play, but we have to look at it from a life cycle analysis point of view. And we tend to disregard the toxicity that's happening because of extracting lead from the ground. When you take the cradle to grave approach, to view a particular sustainability, <coughs> trade-offs are going to be visible to you, both from a capital cost point of view, life cycle costing, and also the environmental hotspots. If we tend to only focus on our own narratives, I, don't, I doubt even the net zero 2050 would be something that the future could be a green one. We need to have an end-to-end look, not a cradle-to-gate or gate-to-grave, which tends to happen, not just in the real estate sector, but in the more advanced part of the world, because they've burned the fossil fuels to get to where they are. Now you're looking at China and trying to say that, well, that's your emissions. They're the factory of the world. They're manufacturing mm -hmm. parts for us, and we're trying to make the net zero, sorry, net carbon only associated China and their boundary, mm -hmm. cut off the parts of the supply chain which is convenient to us. Mm -hmm. 
Not gloomy at all, so thank you. Uh, <laughs> bring us down at the end of the end of the day, but you know, it's it's important. We have to be hit with the truth, right? And the truth isn't always always pretty. And I and I wonder, sort of hearing that and and thinking back to your your point about you know this absolute need for board maturity to understand all of that, and then I wonder. What about us? What about us in this room? Who some of us who may not sit on boards may not have that power. Is there something that we can do to, um, you know, embed this into the companies that we work for, our, our own lives, that actually has that much wider impact? Um, yes, I think uh, there is. There's always, I think, room for improvement. Financial um, um, justifications are probably. We live in a commercial world, however we look at it. Recession will affect our initiatives and sustainability. So if we can, we were with a client um, a couple of months ago in the mining sector, directly um, 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 supplying the construction and, and building sector. The board of director was more interested in, although it was a renewable initiative, was more interested in, in the energy savings they would do rather than the environmental impact it had. But it was easy to tie that down together because they were still thinking from a very commercial point of view. Well, one megawatt of um, electricity is 60 euros. If it goes to 120, well, that's going to affect our bottom line, our financial bottom line. Let's go get our own energy sources. Let's make our wind turbines or invest in solar PVs. I think if you can, and we should, have a trade-off and, again, to reiterate the point of life cycle costing, try to pinpoint all the energy savings, the rate of return, the energy intensity, and the payback for any sort of environmental initiatives, and look at net zero as a short-term, mid-term, and long-term roadmap. Tie that down to particular renewable energies that exist, and create that financial justification, I think, yes. Um, I'm mean, not what you would expect me to say this, you? but I think we all have a, an absolute responsibility to do something wherever we sit in the sort of pecking order, as it were. So, um, you know, we're, we're big fans of saying, you know, le leadership is everywhere. So it's not just at the top. In fact, very often it's not at the top. Um, so I, I think um, every individual can sort of take that and, you know, even if it's back to the point I was making about client brief, you know, ed educate themselves around what let's say net zero carbon, but equally I, I very much agree with Syed that there are lots and multitude of other challenges that we need to educate ourselves around, resource efficiency, waste, so, you know, um, nature depletion, etc. So educate themselves and then challenge the status quo. So if the brief doesn't ask you to do it, offer it as an option anyway. If the boss doesn't ask you to do it, you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Um, I, ju I just think there's, and, and actually, the the movement and the kind of the the, uh, the changes that we're seeing now within the industry are largely coming from those that were just they're not necessarily being asked to do it, but they can see that the writing's on the wall and that and they want to get on with it. So I think absolutely, you know, more more the more the merrier. Everyone needs to get get involved. Power to the people. We were talking. Uh, earlier actually about you know sort of how that there are different attitudes to to this and different drivers at, at different different generations so perhaps you know perhaps this won't be a question that we need to answer in in uh, i hope it isn't in five ten years time because a a, uh, a generation will come through that 
it's embedded in them. It doesn't need to be embedded in any kind of corporate government governance. It's just how we do. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a little bit reluctant on that argument because I slightly feel like, oh, they'll sort it out. Like, let's, let's leave it to the, to the younger generation. I mean, they are they. Um, well, I'm certainly not one of them anymore, but, you know, they, the, the younger generations are definitely very motivated by some of this stuff and, and, and in fact, you know, won't take jobs with businesses that haven't got purpose and sustainability and these sorts of things right at, um, up, up front, as it were. So, yes, of course, a huge amount of concern, unsurprisingly, coming from that generation and a bigger willingness to take risk and to not necessarily do what they're being told to do, but rather do what they feel they should be. And sometimes that's a bit problematic. Mm. Um, but, you know, great, it's quite kind of rebellious and so on. But, but, and we need, we all need to take responsibility too. So I don't, you know, given the point that we were making about urgency, it's not a question of, ah, you know, in 10 years' time they'll have it sorted, so we're all right, we'll coast for a bit. That's just not going to happen. I mean, that won't, that won't fix it. Um, so I think we need both. And um, we, we can't rely on... But hopefully we won't be having the conversation that we're having right now around how do you bake it into governance. It will already be baked in. It's just whether or not it will be having, you know, the, the, the ratchet back kind of impact that it needs to have by that point. And I wonder as well, and again, it was raised earlier, you know, we were talking about um, the level of conversation there is around the E, the level of conversation there is around the S and the level of conversation there is or I'd say isn't, around, around the G. So how do we make, you know, next year, do we need to turn this around and we start with, we start with this conver conversation and the importance of governance, um, whether that's regulation and the, the, um, uh, the, f the forcing, the, the squeezing, uh, <laughs> or, or it's, it's, you know, it's the hearts and minds anyway, it's the self-governance. Self I think that's a very valid point. Um, my, I have two views on that. For a start, I think we need to environmental um, um, indicators again have a more tangible um, key performance indicator attached to them, whereas social ones tend to change between sectors. So it's very difficult for you to actually um, provide a key metric for social indicators. However, the sustainable development goal, the 17 goals I defined over there, sort of overlap environmental and social indicators together. I think um, life expectancy, um, human toxicity, these are measures that have both an environmental um, perspective and also a social one. So from a government's perspective, it's easy to sort of tackle those. Whereas if you have um, so sort of like transgender issues, if you have inclusivity, all of these other stuff that are now becoming a lot more important in every sector, be quite difficult for us to put a dollar value on that. I know human resources are very, very important. Uh, well-being, welfare, all of these frameworks that are existing in, in the real estate sector. However, if we could start looking at where there's an overlap of social indicators or environmental ones, I think it's easier to target them and then bring them on sort of the risk assessment or opportunity type of pillars on like TCFD and have a metric development for them for scenario modeling. If you don't do this, you're going to affect your share value. And if you don't affect your share value, it's going to go on your stock market. And then um, another point in that regard, as I said, is two points I'd, I'd look at, is technology. Technology is becoming a single source of truth. We are having that more, we, we're, getting, we're moving from centralized databases to decentralized databases. And I think distributed ledger technology has a huge role to play. I know it, there's quite a lot of popularity around um, blockchains, it's predominantly on you know, the finance sector. But whether we like it or not, I, either because of 
human error or intentional, I don't want to say that there's corruption, but people tend to work with data, misrepresent it. And if you own that data in your own databases, you never have that single source of truth. So technology, IoT, Internet of Things, smart meters, bringing that on extended ERP systems, and sort of having supply chain integration, moving away from supply chain coordination to supply chain collaboration, all the way to the last part of digitization as transformation to a digital platform. Having supply chain integration through these <clears throat> modern day technologies, 21st century technologies, if you may, will really help us both look at that data in a different way. There is big data, and we've had big data for decades, turning in that to, to smart data and data that is analytical. Again, mo moving away from computational modeling to AI-backed genetic algorithms. These type of uh, methodologies that exist will help us um, transform data from a very raw um, um, sort of shape to a smart data, and I think that has direct financial implications. It's, it, it's so complex, isn't it? And that, that's the, the thing that I, I wonder if it turns people off when we talk about governance, because there's, so, there's so much to take in to embed into how, how we act that, uh, that sometimes, the com sometimes the conversation can be overwhelming. Perhaps it's overwhelming for some. It's overwhelming for me sometimes, uh, often, oftentimes. So how do, we, how do we bring it down to... Um, we talked a little bit earlier about you know different. You have different conversations with different people. How do we, how do we sort of humanise the the governance side of of this? I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'm t struck by your suggestion that we put the G first. For me, that the environmental and the social are the, the areas of impact. It's kind of like you know what what are we affecting and how. So understanding that the governance piece cuts across is a kind of how bit. Uh, it's not. It's not really of the same order. So it's, I've I've always found the terminology quite odd, um, and and for me it's very much a kind of it's, it's an enabler. So it's about the measurement, the accountability. To your point, you know, you know, bringing in the the, the uh, digitization provides you with better measurement. It doesn't provide you with the solution. It doesn't tell you. Well, some of it does. It will inform your decision, but it you know it's it's a it's a it's an underpinning kind of necessity. So I think the governance aspects are that. They are around how do you bake this into the way you make decisions on a daily basis, whether that's you know, accounting, whether it's investment, whether it's uh, you know, remuneration, whether it's uh, you know, ad advisory on your, on your board. You know, there should be accountability at board level and, and so on and so forth. So I think those, it's almost kind of piggybacking off the, the, the things we know already that make a business run. And, and making sure that the environmental and the social are sort of as important as the financial are within all of those systems that run already. For me, that's what the governance bit is. Um, and we know that. We know, I mean, we've been running businesses for, you know, centuries. So we, we, we know, we know that bit, how that bit works. We just aren't integrating it effectively um, at the moment. Fantastic. I think that's a really um, simple for me way to look at it. That the the E and the S are the the impact, and actually the the government governance being that how. There's my phone, uh, uh, and 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 just exactly how how we change our outlook on those impacts. Yeah. So it's not about it's not about dollar signs. It is about the 
the things that you can do for the planet, the things that you can do for the people.